And in that encompassing truth of your word, we find perfect liberty. So, Lord, we pray that this morning we would walk in submission to you as you reveal yourself in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that um, by your grace and by the call of your church and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you've appointed me to be a watchman. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that I would be faithful to that call, not fear, uh, man, not fear man or seek the praise of man. But I do pray, Lord, for you to be glorified, for Christ to be exalted, and for your church to be built up through the preaching of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's very wonderful to be back with all of you. Thank you for allowing us our time away uh, this past August. We had a great time of... Uh, some, some of it was relaxing, uh, some of it was uh, strenuous. I, I did get to hike on the, the trail some, but all of it was, I think, life-giving and restoring. And, and we're so appreciative that, you know, uh, Christ Church is, is not a, a pastor-centered congregation. We've got so many gifted clergy, clergy and lay people here, and so things went on without a hitch. And I was talking to somebody, I was actually talking to Ben Bowman in the office of the diocese, and, and I said, yeah, they don't, they don't need me. They did just fine without me. He said, that's, that's maybe not a great thing. I said, no, nah, this really is a great thing. So thank you for allowing us our time away. I want to turn to uh, the passage we heard from Romans chapter 12 this morning. So if you want to follow along, that's where we're going to be today. Because in the passage we just heard from Romans chapter 12, St. Paul is empl employing a classical form of rhetoric. It's often found in letters. Uh, in, in, in the Hellenistic world. But this is a classical form of rhetoric called a paranesis. Paranesis. Now, that is not a terrible infection of the gut. Uh, no, it is, a, it is a rhetorical device, and a paranesis has three distinguishing features. And you hear them in this passage. First of all, it's a moral, a moral exhortation. Do this and don't do that. That's, you see that in a paranesis. The second thing is that it's always rooted in a moral, and it roots its moral admonitions in a well-known and well-received tradition that the hearers would already be familiar with. And so Paul directly uh, invokes Jesus. He's referring to, some of this sounds like it came right out of um, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. He's referring to the Proverbs. We actually hear almost a direct quote from the book of Proverbs. He's referring to Deuteronomy, so the Torah, the Old Testament, all that tradition that was certainly known among the Christian community there in Rome is being appealed to in this. In this. So he doesn't have to go and say uh, and give chapter and verse. He doesn't have to proof text everything. Everybody kind of has heard these traditions before, and Paul is just bringing them to light. And the third thing is, is that a paranesis is fairly loosely structured. It's a staccato list, you know, boom, 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 of admonitions and warnings. And so it has a fairly loose structure. It's not a particularly, it's not an argument, you know, if this, then that. It's not like that. It's just a loosely structured list of admonitions. And you're thinking, well, that's great, Ben. You know, that's, thank you for the information. That changed my life. Uh, well, uh, Maybe it will, actually, because I think that this passage is supremely important for all of us this morning because of the moment that we all 
find ourselves occupying in history. Because of our current moment in history, these words seem particularly relevant and important for us this morning. We are living in the most antagonistic, emotionally heated, and divided time in American history since the 1960s and maybe even since the 1860s. This maelstrom of anger and rage that we see swirling around us craves to, to suck us into its maw. Mask versus no mask. Lockdown virus panic versus virus denial. Social justice versus law and order. Dog lovers versus cat lovers. The list goes on and on. We are divided and we seem ready to duke it out just about over anything. But thanks be to God, as far as I can tell, and I don't follow you on social media, so I'm, I'm blissfully ignorant, but thanks be to God, as far as I can tell, right this minute, these issues that are roiling our culture are, are not splitting Christchurch. That's not happening at the heart of Christchurch. And that's a blessing because many churches are being split right now over these, these things that are, are just infecting our culture at this moment. And while we may not have been sucked into the infinite outrage vortex as a church, as Christ church, we certainly, I think all of us who are paying attention, feel the tug. Maybe you don't, and if you don't, bless your heart. I'm glad that it's not, it's not affecting you. But that, that's where Romans chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 9 through 11 comes into play for us this morning. This passage of loosely connected commandments tells us a better story, tells us a better story than the story of rage and violence and division that is tearing our society apart. This passage helps us see ourselves, and this is really important. This passage, Romans 12, helps us see ourselves as Christ followers, as church in a way that is distinct and life-giving over against the forces of division and destruction that are unleashed around us in secular society. And make no mistake, please listen to this. This scripture is God's word directed to the church of Jesus Christ. Is Paul telling the Roman Empire how to make public policy in that passage? No, it's not. Because A, the, public, the, the Roman Empire could not care less what St. Paul or any Christian thought about public policy and, it, and probably thought they were just a dangerous, in fact they did, a dangerous sect of Judaism in the first place. So Paul is not dictating public policy for the Roman Empire. You know, one of the, one of the symptoms, one of the ways that we can tell that we are being dominated and that we're being sucked into secular political categories and secular political ideology is that we cannot read passages like this as being directed to the church, but we read them as pu public policy mandates. So often I see people immediately, you know, we need to hear this, and by extension later as the church leads its life out, faithfully in the world, we will have an impact on the world around us. But this isn't directed to the world. This is directed to me and to you. 
as followers of Jesus Christ. The church is a separate and distinct polis, a separate and distinct community that exists in the world, but it's not of the world. And we're only effective in bringing transformation to the world when we're faithful and concerned most of all about being authentic as church. Does that make sense? I think that's the truth. So I'm not going to exegete every single imperative found here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. We're only going to really look at two points because, you know, this could be a sermon series, not just one Sunday morning sermon. And because it, though, although it, because it is a paranesis, we don't do violence to the text by just picking out the most relevant points to us this morning because it's loosely connected. There's not a well-articulated argument. So we're going to pick out the two most relevant points in order to empower us to say this. This is who we are as followers of Jesus, and we will not follow, not within within the Christian family, we are not going to follow the fallen world down into into division and darkness. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Now, the best place to start in this passage is, surprise, surprise, at the beginning. So let's look at verse 9, chapter 12 of Romans, verse 9. Here's how the English Standard Version uh, interprets this or translates this passage. Listen to what it says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast. Cleave to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Now, you need to know, though, that in the Greek text here, there is not a verb in that first little sentence, let love be genuine. So it's more literally translated. If we're going to offer a literal translation of let love be genuine, here's what it would actually say. Genuine love or sincere love or maybe even more literally unhypocritical, unhypocritical love. In other words, Paul is offering in, those, in that little phrase, Listen, he's offering a subject heading to everything that follows. So here is sincere, authentic, unhypocritical love. The Christian way of life, Paul is saying, comes under the heading of sincere love. And everything that follows in this passage is Paul's way of saying, this is what, therefore, genuine Christian love looks like. This is The heading is sincere love, unhypocritical love. And everything that follows is what unhypocritical, sincere, authentic, genuine Christian love looks like. So right up front, listen, if we are going to weather this raging storm of division around us, we have to come back to the foundation of the Christian life, genuine love. He actually uses the Greek word that, as I've said, could literally be translated unhypocritical. So what he's saying here is this this is the kind of love that isn't fake. This isn't fake. This is the real deal. So what will keep us from division as a church in this moment that we're living in right now? What a quote, Neil Sedaka's 1973 hit, Love, Love Will Keep Us Together. So I can't do it as good as you, Father Shane. My, my, my pop references are so much more dated. It's like saying, you know, when I was a kid, this happened in the Civil War. No, it's... So listen to what it says. This is not some sort of ooey-gooey, this genuine love is not some sort of ooey-gooey sentimentality. It's not sloppy agape. 
sloppy agape. This kind of love, the kind of love that will keep unity in the body of Christ, has a hard edge to it. Here's what genuine love looks like. Love must be genuine. Genuine love. Abhor. The first thing, the first word following that, it's a very powerful word in the Greek. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So did you hear that? You know, I think we're, I think we're fine with holding fast, cleaving to what is good. By the way, the work for cleaving there is, is a very passionate term. It's actually used, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians to, um, to talk about the sexual union. So hold fast. So that's the kind of intensity is in that word. Hold fast to good. And we're, yeah, yeah, we should definitely hold fast to that, which is good. But that's not all Paul says. In fact, that's not the first thing he says. He says, genuine love, this is crazy, genuine love hates. Genuine love hates. It abhors, it detests evil. Now that's shocking, especially to our, (laughs) we live in such a fragile time. But listen to what that great Anglican scholar preacher, John Piper, says about this. Yeah, he's a Reformed Baptist, but I love him. John Piper writes, Genuine love must hate. Love must, let love be genuine, abhor. Where people are being hurt by evil, love must hate, or it doesn't love people. If you don't hate, you don't love. There are things in this world that are destroying human beings. And if you don't hate those things, you don't love those people. You don't hate what's destroying people, then you don't really love them. There's actually a prayer in our Book of Common Prayer. Uh, you know, some, someone has said that Anglicans love the, book of, love the Bible because they think it's based on the Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> but no, it's the other way around. We love the Book of Common Prayer because it's based on the Bible. The Book of Common Prayer is actually page 659, but don't, don't need to turn there right now has a prayer that sums up sincere love's abhorrence of evil. I love this prayer. It's a prayer maybe we should be praying every day in this season. Almighty God, you created us in your image. Grant us grace to contend fearlessly against evil and to make no peace with oppression. And help us to use our freedom rightly in the establishment of justice in our communities and among, our, and among the nations, to the glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And I can say amen to that. Now here's, though, here is where we go from preaching to meddling. And you knew it was going to happen at some point. A lot of the division we are experiencing right now within the broader church is because Christians are being swept up into political ideologies and political identities that are overwhelming our commitment to Jesus Christ. The stories and passion behind these these ideologies and and, uh, the stories and passion behind these identities are just so powerful. They're so seductive. There's really something in our soul that they grab a hold to. And I think a lot of times it, they grab a hold to things that are, are good and godly within us, but also to our fallen natures as well. You know, this is what Father Benji was talking about last week. 
Uh, we try to cram, listen, we try to cram, cram the infinite gospel of grace in Jesus Christ into puny, relatively trifling, pre-existing political stories. And that just won't work. Jesus is not, Jesus is not going to be your political mascot. He's going to stomp that idol down and be king of kings and lord of lords. Because if he's not lord of all in your life, he's not lord at all in your life. As a result, because of this, because of this seduction and falling into the seduction of identifying with political loyalties, identifying with ideological loyalties, these things are becoming more important for many of us than our loyalty to Jesus Christ. And as I talk about these things, and I'm doing this for myself, listen, I've struggled with this passage all week long. It's not one of those things I really like talking about, but I, here's what I've had to do. I'm not thinking about how this applies to you. I'm thinking, first of all, how does this apply to me? So as we talk about this, don't say, oh gosh, I wish so-and-so were here this morning. I hope they're watching online because they really need to hear this, don't they, Pastor Ben? Yes, they do, but let's start with me and you first. So it's so easy, you see, it's so easy to see and abhor that which is evil in the, air quotes, other side. It's easy to see and abhor that which is evil in the opposing ideological side, but can we see it in our side? Are we giving a pass to evil? Are we playing cozy with evil because a particular evil, a certain evil, is embraced by our own political ideology? Are we saying, don't look at that, let's look at this. Now, let me, let me bring it down to even more granular detail. Lord, help me to be an equal opportunity offender. Are we willing to justify or remain silent when our side endorses, let's say, the shedding of innocent blood from conception to natural death? Are we willing to give that a pass? Are we willing to ignore it, equal opportunity offender, when our side makes statements or endorses practices and policies that degrade and disparage human beings who are made in the image of God. Are we willing to engage in whataboutism? Does, does, do have you heard that term before? Raise your hand if you've ever heard about whataboutism. Okay, I'm going to explain it. Right, let me explain that real quick. It's like, um, it's, basically, uh, it's basically this. It goes back to the playground. Remember the playground and somebody says something to you, about you, negative about you, and, and the whataboutism response is, so's your old man. You know, in other words, you, know, you bring up, about, you bring up a, a point about me or my ideology or the way I think about things, and then my response is, yeah, yeah, but what about this that you guys do? That's whataboutism. Do you see what I'm saying? You'll hear it more and more. If you don't hear the term, you certainly see it in practice. You might call it spin, I don't know. Whataboutism. Are we willing to engage in whataboutism in order to ignore and deflect from the evil done by our side? Here is the most relevant example, and I really poured over this. I prayed over this. I'm, it's probably a horrible example, but it's the best I can do. So please grant me grace and mercy as I offer this. 
This is the most relevant example I can give affecting this church and all of Jesus' church in North America, as far as I can tell, this morning. It's not exhaustive. It's not the only issue, but I think maybe it makes my point. Are you ready? Here's the question I want to ask. If I am passionate, listen, if I am passionate about social justice, can I love the good, love the good in the other's side's emphasis on law and order? Hate what is evil, abhor what is evil, cleave to what is good. So if I'm passionate about social justice, can I love the good in the other side's emphasis on law and order and abhor the evil when my side excuses lawlessness and immoral behavior. Can I abhor that evil on my side? I know these are, look, we're not, we can't nuance everything or we'll never say anything. So please listen, because you see, law and order are in fact essential to social justice, aren't they? If I am passionate about law and order, can I love the good in the other side's concern for racial and economic justice? Can I do that? And abhor the evil of rationalizing or denying or ignoring my side's My side's desire to ignore, rationalize systems of injustice. So in other words, let me say that again. If I'm, if I'm passionate about law and order, can I love the good and the other side's concern for racial and economic justice and abhor the evil when my side wants to ignore that there are, in fact, systems of injustice? Those things really exist. Because addressing systems of injustice, wherever they are, is essential to law and order, isn't it? So when Christians are willing, here's the point, when Christians are willing in genuine love to abhor that which is evil in our ideological side and cleave to what is good in the opposing ideological side, here is what happens. Listen, our I hope that if, you, if this doesn't apply to you at all, then, then please allow your brothers and sisters to whom this applies to receive this teaching. I know maybe you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. But some people do, believe me. When, our, when, our, when we're willing to love the good that's on our, the opposite side, cleave to that which is good on the opposite side, and when we're willing to abhor that which is evil on our side, whatever that is, Here's what happens. Our partisan loyalties are shifted to where they truly belong. Second place. See what I'm saying? And Jesus Christ is enthroned in our lives and in the church where he belongs in first place as King of kings and Lord of lords. So that's, I think, essentially important if we're going to remain united in this very divided time as the body of Christ. Here's the second point, and this is a little quicker. We need to draw from, this is what we need to draw from Romans 12, 9 through 11. And this is vitally important, especially for us who spend any time on social media, but anywhere else it applies as well. 
in our divided and angry country, in our divided and angry country, we are going to have people intentionally say and say and do harmful and painful things to us. And you know what? Sometimes those people are Christians. I think I, think I kind of read about that. I think I heard Benji read that. You know, that could happen in Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you. So we are not immune to this. They're going to say harmful. They're going to do harmful and painful things to us. Sometimes it will be because of our faith in Jesus Christ. It may happen because of our ethnicity, sometimes because of our partisan affiliation. Yes, this even happens with church people. It can take the form of destructive and hateful things said to and about us on social media. It could be in the form of losing our jobs because of our biblical convictions about human sexuality and the sanctity of human life. It could be the destruction or vandalism of our personal property because of political or ideological affiliation. It could even extend to, be, to being physically beaten and assaulted because of the rage that is seething in our culture right now. You know, I think about that woman, maybe you saw this video in Washington, D.C. last week. She was sitting in a, in a restaurant and was screamed at by protesters and to my knowledge, that woman was not a believer. I don't think she, she is. But at one point, somebody in the mob began screaming at her, Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? As if, that be, as if being a Christian would prove that she was indeed a horrible person and deserved to be attacked. That's the moment we find ourselves in right now. You and I, brothers and sisters, I hope this is being clear enough. But you and I need to gird up our loins right now in this moment and determine that in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and bound by the clear commandment of our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles, we will not retaliate or lash out against such attacks. Again, we're not making public policy here. Who is this addressed to? The church. We will not retaliate or lash out against such attacks. Each of these passages that I'm about to read to you either directly addresses or is in the context of being wronged or harmed for our, commit, our convictional stance related to following Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's what Paul says. Look at these. I'm going to pull out some verses real quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Look at that. Just turn there real quickly. He's going to say this three different ways in this passage. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. All right? Church, what do we do? Bless those who persecute you. And in case you didn't get it, Paul reiterates, bless and do not curse. <laughs> so bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And I want to just take a, 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 an unscripted moment right here and say this. I don't know if you've noticed this. This has changed in my, my very brief lifetime. I, I just turned, I'm almost growing up. I turned 59 yesterday. I'm almost a big boy now. But in that very short brief of time, I have heard more cursing, whether it is, you know, profanities or literal cursing or using the Lord's name in vain, coarsening, the coarsening of our, our conversation in, in almost every context of life and particularly in this very heated moment, there's so much cursing. And so, Christian, 
Bless and do not curse. Don't be those people. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's whatever's coming out of your mouth, that is what you are full of. That's what you're full of. That's coming out of your mouth, Jesus says. That's what you're full of. Are you full of cursing? Bless and do not curse. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, just the first part of that verse. Romans 12, verse 17. Repay some people evil for evil. Oh, wait a second, that's not what it said. Repay no one evil for evil. How many people is no one? Zero. (laughs) Zero. Repay no one evil for evil. If you need that explained, Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 20. Listen to what Paul says here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Always avenge yourselves? Sometimes avenge yourselves? Nope, never avenge yourselves. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the Roman Empire? No, he's talking to the church. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Now what we need to hear this morning is that, we need to hear this, listen. Not retaliating, not retaliating when we are personally attacked for our convictions is not some form of innervated, in other words, weakened, pacifistic response. It's not an innervated, innervative, I can't say it now. It's not a weakened, innervation means to to have your nerve taken out, so to speak. Uh, It's not some weakened, pacifistic response. Rather, it is a witness. Listen to this. This is from the text. It is a witness that we trust in Almighty God to, in fact, bring vengeance. A vengeance that is infinitely just and infinitely loving. And not merely, not merely trying to enforce the proximate and imperfect justice that you and I could bring about by avenging ourselves. So rather, in that situation, we are told our response of blessing in the face of evil is to follow Christ's acts. In other words, be like Jesus. When he was cursed, he did not respond with cursing. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he was hung on the cross for our offenses, in fact, when our evil placed him on the tree, his response was to forgive. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. That's our model. That's our supreme model. So rather, our response of blessing in the face of evil follows Jesus' saving acts. And when we do that, it unleashes the supernatural, transforming, redemptive grace of God. In that moment, this is what this means for you right now and for me right now this morning. Oh, Lord, let revival come. Well, I think if we do this, we might see revival come. I want revival. I want to see a great awakening in this country. Well, maybe if we looked a lot lot like Jesus in this moment, power from God would pour from the church into the world and bring a new story of saving grace that is so desperately needed in these dark and divided times, wouldn't that be wonderful? Because if we act just like the world, nobody's ever going to see that. 
Retaliation against persecutors or those who have done evil to us feels like justice in the moment, but it is forbidden for Christians. That <laughs> retaliation also includes, that means we don't go on social media and passively, aggressively lash out through vague booking. I, you know, that term's been around for a while, and I've only heard it this year, vague booking. Have you ever been, somebody's vague booking out there when they're saying something like, don't even talk to me, don't even ask, but some people, dot, 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 and you just leave it up there on the comment section, well, now you just vague booked. Passive, passive aggressive, don't lash out. And you know, social media is an industry devoted to lashing out. Why don't we punch back? Because we are commanded to be imitators of God, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. In Jesus Christ, God responded to our evil with love. God responded to our rebellion with love. The Almighty God of the universe responded to our violence and hate by letting himself be hung up on a cruel Roman cross for the salvation of the world, and God repaid that evil with blessing and eternal life. To those who follow Jesus, he says to us, do what I have done. In fact, he says it clearly in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I, say to you, uh, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, because that's what I'm about to do to you. For when we were still enemies, when we were still far off, Christ died for us. Do good to those who hate you. And when we love our enemies and bless those who hate us, we in turn receive a blessing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Yes, we use a lot of the Bible here. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, let uni have unity of mind. Again, this is to the church. Peter's addressing the church. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. It seems to be all over the New Testament, doesn't it? On the contrary, bless, for to do this, for to this you were called, that you may receive a blessing. A blessing comes when we do that. You will be blessed in that moment when you respond in that way. And it will bring transformation to the world around us. One last thing, in conclusion, addressing the world around us, and Paul does actually in this, uh, in this scripture here, it just basically comes down to this. In this particular moment, and it's not as profound perhaps as the other things, but it's just this. Please pursue civility. Pursue civility. Paul writes Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, okay, sometimes it might not be, but if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is a call to civility, to the world around us and to our brothers and sisters as well. If we will do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will remain a united church with a powerful witness for the transforming, life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, Lord, may it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.